Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanzan Washington working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Wednesday, April 6, 2022. President Salva Kiir established Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Sudan. In light of the, of the challenges that we are currently facing, what we need the most is reconciliation before the next step on pursuing punitive justice. We need community healing first, rather than devoting our energies on deterring specific acts of violence through criminal prosecution. We need to use reconciliation and forgiveness to eradicate the culture of impunity. And some Sudanese legal experts express their opinions on the trial of the Janjaweed leader at the Hague. The trial of Ali Kosheb should be regarded as a means to identify more evidence on the cases of responsible leaders who were directly instructing Kosheb. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some Sudanese human rights activists are applauding the International Criminal Court for beginning the trials of one of the suspects accused of allegedly committing crimes against civilians in Darfur. Some of the activists say trying Ali Kusheb in The Hague should send a signal to the Sudanese authorities. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. Lawyers and human rights activists here have praised the ICC team for publicly trying to Janjaweed militia leader Ali Kosheb on 31 counts of war crimes and crimes against humanity committed in Darfur nearly 20 years ago. Lawyer and human rights activist Abdul Basit Al Hajj has been documenting atrocities in Darfur for more than 10 years. He's speaking to this program from Niala, the capital of South Darfur State, Al Hajj hailed the ICC for trying Kosheb but said several other individuals responsible for crimes committed in Darfur should also be brought before the court. <laughs> The trial of Ali Kosheb should be regarded as a means to identify more evidence on the cases of responsible leaders who were directly instructing Kosheb. This trial also should identify individuals who have been involved in funding and supplying the Janjaweed militia with logistics in Darfur. Kosheb appeared stoic in the ICC's courtroom on the first day of his trial in The Hague on Tuesday. He pleaded not guilty to 31 charges of war crimes that include persecution, pillaging, murder, and rape. Kusheb is accused of commanding pro-government militia forces that attacked and burned down villages in Darfur between August 2003 and March 2004. Al-Hajj says crimes committed during this time should not go unpunished. Crimes that have been committed in Darfur are regarded as serious crimes which threaten the international peace and security. These are crimes that people should not keep silent about. Sudanese rights activist and lawyer Nafisa Hajar also praised the ICC for putting Kosheb on trial. Hajar, who is a member of the Darfuri Bar Association, wonders why no one has been charged with the crimes committed in Darfur since 2003 in a Sudanese court. Hajar says 
the local judiciary is well aware of those who carried out the atrocities. Our local judiciary and the government are aware of this, but they have not done anything about them. They have never tried any individual in a court of law about crimes committed in Darfur. So their silence up to this moment signifies that the government does not have intention to hand over anybody to the ICC. Another Sudanese human rights expert who prefers to remain anonymous for fear of reprisals from security operatives says she does not think the government is willing to hand over other individuals accused of committing war crimes in Darfur because, she says, some top government officials are also implicated in those crimes. Sudanese military leaders staged a coup in October 2021. Former President al-Bashir was indicted by the ICC in 2009 over alleged atrocities committed by his government. He remains imprisoned in Khartoum after being found guilty on corruption charges. In a statement released yesterday, the U.S. State Department said the U.S. welcomes the opening of Kosheb's trial at the ICC, noting it marks the beginning of the first trial against what it calls any senior leader for crimes committed by al-Bashir regime and government-supported forces following the genocide and other atrocities in Darfur. It further stated the United States is committed to the principle that those who committed atrocities must be held accountable. It added that the world is again, quote, witnessing increased violence in Darfur and the two areas. This trial is a signal to those responsible for human rights violations and abuses in Darfur that impunity will not last in the face of the determination for justice to prevail. End quote. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. The South Sudan government has launched a nationwide public consultation for establishing the Truth, Reconciliation and Healing Commission. President Salva Kiir says the commission must focus on serving the interests of victims of the conflict. Waki Simon Wudu reports for VOA from Juba. President Kiir says the Truth, Reconciliation and Healing Commission constitutes a critical part of South Sudan's peace-building process. The president says the process must be based on fairness, transparency and inclusivity. In light of the, of the challenges that we are currently facing, what we need the most is a conciliation before the next step on pursuing punitive justice. We need community healing first, rather than devoting our energies on deterring specific acts of violence through criminal persecution. We need to use reconciliation and forgiveness to eradicate the culture of impunity. First Vice President Riyak Machar says the process is expected to independently administer access to justice, compensation and reparation in the country. Speaking as the head of South Sudan's governance cluster, Machar says establishing the commission can be done in two months' time and urged South Sudan's partners to help fund the work. And I want to call on the international community to support us, particularly in funding the committees that will be working in this mechanism. We still have difficulties supporting them. He is slightly the minister 
mentioned it, but we need, we, we need that support so that we can really move forward in the shortest possible time remaining. Chapter 5, Article 2 of the Revitalized Peace Agreement requires the Justice Ministry, in collaboration with the stakeholders and civil society, to conduct public consultations for a period not less than one month ahead of the establishment of the Commission. The Commission is expected to look into all aspects of human rights violations and abuses, breaches of rule of law and excessive abuse of power committed against South Sudanese by state actors, non-state actors or their agents and allies. It's part of the transitional justice mechanism enshrined in Chapter 5 of the Peace Deal, which mandates the establishment of a hybrid court for South Sudan and the Compensation and Reparation Authority. Major General Charles Taigitwai, chairperson of the Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, says despite the delay, it's encouraging to see the process finally begin. He called on the unity government to provide the civic space necessary for completing the process. I wish to encourage the Artegnu, including the state governments, to work in partnership with each other so as to safeguard the civic space and foster an inclusive environment so that the people of South Sudan can have even more confidence engaging in this process. Speaking on behalf of the international community, the Netherlands ambassador to South Sudan, Yat von Viren, says as the technical committee works to establish the commission, the process should be undertaken with integrity and impartiality. Ambassador Viren stressed that transitional justice is an essential step for people emerging from violence. We would like to emphasize the importance of true public participation and genuine engagement with all stakeholders, particularly the victims of past abuses, in designing a commission that is well-suited, relevant, and tailored to the South Sudan context. I would also like to stress the point that the need for reconciliation and healing does not equate to the dismissal of grave injustices. The commission will be there to reconcile and heal, not to condone injustices or to provide a pass to those who have committed crimes against their own people. According to the implementation matrix of the peace deal, legislation to establish the Reconciliation and Truth Commission, the Hybrid Court, and the Commission for Reparation Authority should have been started within three months of forming the unity government. For VOA News, Amwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. From Juba, we move to Bor, where some internally displaced persons living in a camp in the jungle state capital, Bor, uh, urging the transitional government to speed up the implementation of the security arrangement so they can return to their villages. Dengai Deng has more for VOA from Bor. John Both, an IDP living in a Bor camp, says he and his family have been living at the camp since the 2013 conflict. Both says living conditions in the camp are not good and he wants to return to his village in Ayut, but he is afraid it is not safe to travel home. He says the parties should speed up security arrangements in the peace deal so he and his family could return safely to their village. Need the agreement to be fully implemented, uh, such as uh, security arrangement. Uh, they need security arrangement to be implemented so that uh, there's a free movement of uh, people, even uh, IDCs can feel secure. 
I'm now having uh, like nine years in POC in since 2013. Uh, of course, uh, I want to to be re- reunited with uh, the large community. I don't want to remain in the POC. Both says IDPs when the Joint Unified Forces graduated and deployed quickly so they can provide security for civilians across the country. Agreement. We have learned of Chapter 5 in agreement. Uh, that talk of uh, uh, reparation uh, authority, that also talk of uh, truth and healing. Uh, we need that uh, chapter to be implemented. So uh, our uh, IDP Viu Majuk says he felt hopeful when President Salva Kiir announced the graduation of Unified Force, but his hopes were dashed by the recent fighting between the South Sudan People's Defense Forces and the SPLM-IO in Upper Nile and Unity States. The parties to the agreement this week signed an agreement on forming the command structure of the Unified Forces. With less than 11 months to go before the end of the transitional period, Critical tasks of the peace deal have not been implemented, including Chapter 5 of the agreement, which deals with transitional justice and security arrangements. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Juba. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, more countries in Africa relax COVID restrictions. Find out why after the break. On important questions. The question today. What is the funniest thing to ever happen to you? I was thinking I can cross a gutter. Unfortunately, I found myself in the gutter and everybody was laughing. The funniest thing to ever happen to me was when I fell down in the marketplace and people were laughing. It became funny to me because I just slipped. A lot has happened to me, but what I remember, being with my family, discussing, they get to tell me funny, funny stories that make me happy. The funniest thing that has ever happened to me is moving from the house, picking a vehicle, realizing I don't have money on me. How embarrassing to realize there's nothing on me, just moving out like that. I tried to, like, ask somebody for money, and I tried to, like, fix something, and it didn't work. Well, I was ashamed. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has announced the end of the country's state of disaster brought by the coronavirus pandemic. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg. After 750 days, the end of COVID-19 restrictions are in sight for South Africans with the lifting of a state of disaster. President Cyril Ramaphosa gave a televised address to the nation Monday, repealing the government's legal mechanisms for managing the pandemic. That means restrictions on daily life and business have officially been removed. But some measures remain. 
Ramaphosa introduced a 30-day transition period that would uphold an indoor mask mandate and requirements to show vaccine certificates or PCR test results to attend large public gatherings. International travelers will also have to be fully vaccinated or present a negative COVID-19 test result. A social grant to those who lost their jobs during the pandemic will also extend through the transition period, after which all measures will lapse. The repeal of the state of disaster comes roughly five months after the last major variant, Omicron, was discovered by the country's scientists. Ramaphosa said while case numbers are high, hospitalizations and deaths remain low. South Africa is the hardest-hit country in Africa with over 6 million COVID-19 deaths. With less than half the adult population vaccinated, Ramaphosa encouraged the public to get their shots. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. From Johannesburg, we move to the Horn of Africa, where Somali's National Intelligence and Security Agency says terrorist group Al-Shabaab is plotting to assassinate the country's president and prime minister. Mohammed Sheikh Noor reports from Mogadishu. Somalia's spy agents said Tuesday that Al-Shabaab is targeting President Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed and Prime Minister Mohammed Hussein Roble. In a Twitter post, the National Intelligence and Security Agency NISA named the Islamist groupies Mohammed Mahir as overseeing the plot. NISA gave no further details on the alleged plot but said officials had been informed. The warning follows a series of recently deadly attacks by the Al-Qaeda-linked group and comes as Somalia is struggling to complete longer-delayed elections. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for a March 23rd attack on Mogadishu's international airport that left six people dead. It came the same day a prominent female lawmaker, Amina Mohamed Abdi, was among several people killed in explosions claimed by the group in the central city of Pledwene. During a memorial for Abdi, Prime Minister Roble said his life was in danger. Roble alleged Abdi's killing was politically motivated and said he received threats on his own life after he ordered Hasid to be openly contested in the election. In February, Al-Shabaab attacked several police stations and checkpoints in the capital Mogadishu, killing five people. Mohamed Shaknur for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. In parts of northern Ivory Coast, militiamen known as Dozos are supplementing state security amid the threat of further instability. Analysts warn local intercommunal tensions are on the rise while, while groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda based in Mali and Burkina Faso have crossed the border to carry out attacks. Henry Wilkins reports from Korogo. In the north of Ivory Coast, local militiamen called Dozos drive along the country's dusty roads where they help the state keep the locals safe. Unlike the nation's prosperous south, development, security and rule of law have struggled to reach here. Armed groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda already wreak havoc less than 100 kilometres away over the country's northern border in Burkina Faso and Mali. As they begin to attack and try to recruit in Ivory Coast, Ivorian analysts say many of the conditions that caused conflict in Burkina Faso and Mali are present here. 
lack of state security, development and intercommunal tensions. One dozo who gave his name only as Sikongo said violence and crime led the militias to organise. He says the dozos work with the rangers, the police, the gendarmes. Often the dozos are called upon to join them on missions and they congratulate the dozos for it, he added. In Burkina Faso and Mali, militia groups also emerged in areas now overrun by terror groups where state control was weak. Bakari Watara runs the chapter of the Dozos in Korogo, a major city in the Ivorian north. He believes the government does not have enough resources to install security forces in the smaller villages, especially those that are 25, 50 and 60 kilometres away from the gendarmerie or the police station. Imagine if the population is attacked. By the time the police arrive and intervene, the attackers will already have left, he says. He added that security in the region remains good, however. Traditional leaders in the north also supplement justice and the rule of law by arbitrating disputes. Issa Koulibaly is the traditional leader of Korogo. He says when citizens have a problem that they are unable to deal with, they turn to him. The traditional leader also says development in the north has improved in recent years, although the majority of those living outside of big towns or cities interviewed by VOA disagreed. Another major cause of the conflict in neighbouring countries is tension between herder and farmer communities, which analyst Lucina Diara of the Timbuktu Institute says is also a problem in Ivory Coast. He says the lack of cohesion between herder communities and other communities has not yet seen a very strong response on the part of the state. Arthur Ranga is a military historian at Felix Hufei Boeni University in Abidjan who advises the government on the security situation in the north. He says tensions in the north have not reached a critical state. There is concern, he says, but there's no exodus or displacement yet, because so far the government has been able to give a good military response and is also trying to build a social response. The Ivorian Ministry of Security did not respond to an interview request by VOA. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Corogo, Ivory Coast. Il y a des campements qui sont reculés de plus de 50 km, de 60 km, de 25 km de la gendarmerie, soit de la, de, du commissariat. Imaginez aussi, cette population est attaquée. D'ici que les forces arrivent pour intervenir, vraiment, tout sera déjà parti. Mais quand ils ont un problème qui les dépasse, ils, ils recourent à moi. Ils dépendent de moi. La cohésion entre cette communauté Peul et puis d'autres communautés, je n'ai pas encore vu une action très très forte euh, de la part de, de l'État. Euh, il y a une inquiétude, il y a, il y a une inquiétude, mais il n'y a pas encore d'exode de, 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 ou, ou, ou de déplacés, parce que en même temps, jusqu'à présent, le gouvernement arrive à donner une bonne réponse, une bonne réponse militaire, 
euh, tente aussi de construire une réponse sociale. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday. We end this show with the song Kiza Li Virus by King Nobs. Listening to King Nobs and the song Kizali Virus. I'm John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.